I don't know about you, but I, I just, I want to be a part of what God does in a way that I can't get glory for it and I can't take credit for it. Because you know what? In my lifetime, I get too much of that already, don't you? I mean, I look back, and you can look back over your job and say, I did a good job, and I raised children, and I, and I, and I think I did those things, God, but the things where I can go, God, I had nothing to do with it other than just to trust you. And it was your goodness and your glory that showed up. And I think in the heart of every one of us, that's what we want, is it not? To see God do something that only God can do, and you look back and you go, we were a part of history because God did something. And we're on a journey right now. We're on a journey in the book of Exodus, and uh, we're in chapter 19. And the interesting thing about chapter 19, it took them three months to get to chapter 19. And I thought to myself as I read, isn't it interesting because we've been going three months. We're in our third month. And I just kind of marveled at God. And, 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 and then I, I looked at it and it said that they stayed there. And this is going to be the preamble, if you will, to the Ten Commandments. And they stayed there at that mountain before God for another 11 months. Now, I'm not telling you we're going to be in, these, in, the, in the gypsy church here for another 11 months. I'm just saying that's just the chronology. But here's a couple of things I want you to grab, and here's the first one. It's a little bit like what I've been saying earlier, but it's different. It says, it goes like this, you are in the middle of a miracle. Now, whether you know it or not, you are in the middle of it. Your life is a miracle all by itself, just freestanding miracle of God. And if you will start saying that and rehearsing that in your heart and in your mind, you'll begin to see the Spirit of God show up in ways that you could not imagine. Will it be difficult? Absolutely. Do you realize we're birthing a spiritual entity called the body of Christ that is the bride of Christ that for all eternity will rule and reign with Christ? Do you expect that to be easy? Do you expect that spiritual forces won't come up against us? But here's the second one. Don't underestimate what God is doing. My tendency is to think, well, I don't know what God is up to. I'd sure like him to be up to more. God, where are you? How many times have we cried that as human beings? If you've cried it 100 times, you're probably at the low end. Because we've all said, God, where are you and what are you doing? And I don't understand. But I want you to take your Bibles, and I want you to open with me to Exodus chapter 19. We're going to look at the first uh, 11 verses or so. It simply begins with these words, in the third month. Why would the Holy Spirit mark that chronology for us? Because it was significant. Three in Scripture is always significant, by the way. When God created you, he created you body, soul, and spirit. He himself is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When he wanted time so you could understand time, he created it past, present, and future. When he wanted you to pick up a paintbrush, he used three primary colors. In Genesis, when he wanted to tell you about the signs and the seasons, he created the sun and the moon and the stars also. When he wanted you to understand something about dimension, he created height and width and depth. And on and on and on, you'll see the angels, they cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. God is about order. God is about structure. God is up to something. He says, in the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the same day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. Here they are. 
right on schedule with God. For they departed from Rephidim and had come to the wilderness of Sinai, and they camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain. Now, this is the mountain of God. This is where God is going to come down in his glory. This is where Moses is going to get the Ten Commandments. You may have heard about the day that Moses went up to the mountain before God, and he said, he could tell in Moses' face something was wrong. He said, what's wrong, Moses? He said, I have a headache. He said, take these two tablets and call me in the morning. <laughs> I know, it's a little corny. A few of you laugh. Thank you for the courtesy laugh. I appreciate it. <laughs> Moses went up to God, and the Lord called him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings, and I brought you to myself. You know what that's a little reminder of? When you're going through the tough times in your life, look back and see what God has brought you through. See, it's never pleasant in the present, is it? But it's good in the future. And what you have to do is say, God, I'm going to trust your goodness because your past is a testimony that you did sustain me. Oh, it didn't make it, make it easy, it didn't make it pleasant at times, but your past, my past history with you has proven that you are a God who can be trusted. Now, therefore, verse 5, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you will be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. Here's what he says. You are a special treasure. Let's say that out loud. I am a special treasure. Try it one more time. I am a special treasure. You need to say yourself to that because that's what God is saying about you. You're a special treasure before the Lord. He said, and all the earth is mine, and you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Did you know you're a kingdom of priests? You know what that means? You can go right before God with your sins. You can talk to God. You can talk to me about your sins, but you know what? You need to talk to God. Amen? Because he can forgive sin. I can't. It goes on to say this. You're a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So Moses came up and called the elders of the people and laid before them all the words which the Lord had commanded them. Then all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do. Have you ever said that? You read the Bible and go, I'm going to do that. How long did that last? Let's be honest. How long did that last? Not very long. Because you know what happens? The pressure of the world and the struggles of the world and just the, the nature of man pulls against that at all times. And when you understand that the Bible is written on the ideal, God says never sin, but he also relates to us on the real. You know what that means? God says never sin, but if you do sin, and you will, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. Isn't that good news? See, God realizes you're human. But he doesn't lower the standards so that you can get away with murder. Because you would. So don't exploit the grace of God is what he's saying here. Now look what it says. You're a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. The people said in verse 8, all that the Lord has said we will do. Then all the people answered and said, we will do this. So Moses brought back uh, the words to the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, Behold, I come to you in a thick cloud, and the people may hear when I speak to you. Just underline the word cloud in your Bible. Very significant word in Scripture. He's not just talking about the weather. He's talking, he's going to drill down into something. I'm going to show it to you in just a minute. 
So Moses told the words to the, uh, of the people to the Lord. Then the Lord said unto Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes. You know what he's saying? He's saying what God is saying to us as we get ready to take the Lord's Supper here a little bit later. Whatever's in your heart, give it to God. Ask God to cleanse you. Ask God to purify you. Just stand before him. God, he already knows you're a sinner. Just say, God, I want to be clean before you. And let them be ready for on the third day. Interesting, isn't it? See the number three coming back? First it was the third month. Now it's the third day. On the third day, the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Interesting that Jesus came down on the third day from the mountain too, wasn't it? Put him in Calvary. Three days later, he rose from the dead. He came down. He was seen by many witnesses. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, he was seen by more than 500 at one time. Let me show you something about your life and what God is doing. You, you are right on schedule. You're on God's schedule. You're right on schedule. It was the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, and all of a sudden they realized something's happening. I began reading this book, Unbroken, about Louis Zapparini, and I just in anticipation for his coming, and I, 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 just, I, I was just transfixed as I read the pages. And here's this guy who becomes the fastest high school runner in America. By, by God's divine fluke, if you will, he ends up in the 1936 Olympics. He doesn't win, but he has such a fast last lap that Adolf Hitler pointed him out in the crowd and wanted to speak to him. He came over, he shook Hitler's hand, not realizing that the world was on the verge of war. And Hitler said to him, so you are the fast man on the track. He went away anticipating now because of his youth the 1940 Olympics. Little did he know that war would, would break out across Europe that Germany would invade Poland. Little did he know the Japanese would attack America. And all of his dreams of being an Olympian in the 1940 Olympics went down the drain. Little did he know he was right on schedule. God had something greater for him than the Olympics. You see, you might look at your life and think what God has for you, but God has something greater for you than you can put on paper. Now he finds himself a bombardier in a, in a B-24 that's now crashed, and now he finds himself 27 days in a life raft. Shipmates eaten by sharks. Blistered skin. Finally, when the rescue came, it was the Japanese that put him and his friends in the worst concentration camp. But he was right on schedule. He was right on plan. You see, you look at it and say, how could God plan that? Because God had something greater for him. Torture. Memories of that horrible concentration camp kept coming back to him over and over again. It drove him to become an alcoholic, about ready to divorce his wife when he was led to a Billy Graham crusade. And there he found Jesus Christ. See, God had a greater purpose for him than the Olympian. God even had a greater purpose for him just getting over some of the, the struggles of the past. God had a greater purpose for him because, you see, God had a purpose that he would speak on the platform to thousands and hundreds of thousands of people, and his latter days would be greater than his former days. 
God had a plan for him to be with us on Father's Day. He didn't know it. He never could have imagined that he would be sitting in a life raft one day thinking, you know, one day I'm going to be in Anaheim Hills. <laughs> and I'm going to be speaking to people about their eternal soul. But God knew. How do you stay on schedule with God? Let me give you a few ideas. Here's the first one. Trust that God is working in your current situation. Just trust that God is working in your current situation. You say, you don't know my situation. I know a lot of your situations. And they're just a lot like everybody else's situations. They just feel different because they're happening to you. Trust, just trust God. Listen to what the scripture says. For it is God, God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you might become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and a perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that you may rejoice in the day of Christ that you have not run or labored in vain. See, we waste our sorrows sometimes complaining, worrying about what's going on. Here's the second thing. Don't run ahead of God. Israel was right where God wanted them. Three months into the journey, 11 more months before the mountain, don't run ahead of God. Let God direct your path. Also, listen to God. Just listen to him. The more you're still yourself before him, the more you can hear his voice. In Isaiah 48, 17, it says, I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is good and leads you along the paths that you should follow. God says, I'll teach you and I'll lead you. I think I said last week, you know how I know the, what I know most about the will of God is when I look back. Oh, that's what you wanted for me, God. Now I really see it. Also, trust that God can lift you above your problems. In Deuteronomy 32 is another reference to this idea of being, being lifted up and put on the back of an eagle. It says, he found him in a desert land, in a wasteland, in howling wilderness. He encircled him, he instructed him, he kept him as the apple of his eye, as an eagle stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, spreading out its wings, taking them up and carrying them out on its wings. And the amazing thing about eagles is they don't pick up their young with their claws. They push them out of the nest and they swoop down under them and they let them rest on their back. You see, because those little eaglets, they need time to develop. You know how long it takes them to get their flying feathers? Just so happens to be three months. Isn't that interesting? At 30 years, an eagle, 30, isn't it interesting how God wo just has woven in design into everything he does? At 30 years, they begin to claw at their feathers, and they get an entirely new set of feathers, and they'll live another 30 years on average. I wonder if God was in that whole process. You see, you are right on schedule, God's schedule. You may not like the schedule. You may not like the calendar. You may not like the events and the activities God has planned for you. I mean, sometimes you feel like God is the cruise director on the Titanic. <laughs> God, what are you doing? And you're around rearranging the deck chairs, trying to get everything in order, and God's going, this thing is going down, but I have a plan. And you'll understand one day. Here's the second thing. You are a special treasure. You are God's treasure. God's treasure. You know, when Mike stood here and I looked back and I saw different people that I knew in the military, 
and this mic, and, and I saw Joe back there. Joe, wave your hand. Just raise your hand, Joe. Joe Fowler. Raise your hand, Joe. He's right there by the camera. <laughs> Joe was a fighter pilot in World War II in Korea and then headed up the Apollo space program. You don't realize who you're sitting in church with, do you? <laughs> and I thought about Memorial Day and how we honor those who are special treasures to us, and those are the men and women who have served so faithfully. Tomorrow morning I've been asked to, uh, to do the invocation at the placing of the wreath at the, on President Nixon and Pat Nixon's grave at the Nixon Library if you want to join us at 10 o'clock tomorrow. But I thought what a privilege and what an honor that is. See, God says we're a kingdom of priests. You know what that means? You have direct access to God. Direct access to God. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 2.5, there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. You have direct access to God. We're a holy nation. You know what that means? We're a spiritual nation. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. This nation that we're a part of is spiritual by nature. And our king is Jesus. He sits in glory, ruling and reigning. It's enemies. Our enemies of, of this holy nation are principalities and powers and rulers of darkness. Our laws are the laws of the kingdom, clearly spelled out in Scripture. You are born into this kingdom by a second birth called the being born again, not by water, but by the Spirit of God. The names of these citizens are recorded in the Lamb's book of life. If your name is not in there, you are not a part of this world, this kingdom that God speaks of. But the world does not recognize this kingdom or the existence of this kingdom. But the Bible says our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly await the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. No wonder Scripture tells us in Revelation 1, 5, and 6 that Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler over all the kings of the earth, that's your nation You're not just a citizen of America. You're a citizen of a nation that has a ruler over all the kings of the earth to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Give God glory for that. Your sins have been cleansed. He has made us kings and priests. To his God and glory, to him be glory forever and ever. But the enemy, what does he do? He rages against this royal priesthood and this holy nation. You are on the verge of a breakthrough every day in your life, and you can expect, though, an increase of demonic activity because Satan's most powerful weapon against you is fear and discouragement and bitterness. But when you start praising God, you undo the lies of the enemy, and you move forward with God's divine plan. Because remember, you are a treasure of the Lord, and sometimes you just have to say it out loud to believe it. I am a treasure of the Lord. First Peter says it like this, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you were out of darkness into his marvelous light. You once were not a people, but now you are a people who now you have obtained mercy when you had no mercy. I want mercy from the hand of God, don't you? Let me show you something else. You are in his presence, the presence of God. It's interesting that God says, go up there, and I'm going to speak to you out of this thick cloud. He says to them in verse 9, he says, I'm going to come to you. That's an expectation, believing that God will come to you. 
he will minister to you. He said, I will come in a cloud. And when he comes, you want to be clean, you want to be ready. He said, I'm going to come to you on the third day. He says, I, I'm weaving something in here that's not only for them, but it's for us because everyone will see me in the clouds. Daniel chapter 7 and verse 13, it says, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days and brought him near before him. Matthew 24 says, Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Revelation 1.7 says, Behold, he is coming in the clouds, and every eye will see him, and everyone who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. You see, Jesus was crucified on a mount. It was the third day he rose from the dead. He came down from that mountain. He was seen by many witnesses. They testified that that was him. Yes, that's him. No wonder we need to come into his presence now. Listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians 3.17. Now the Spirit of the Lord is. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled faces are beholding as in a mirror. Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. And this is by the Spirit of the Lord. Do you know how you're transformed from one degree of glory to another? It's by the Spirit of God. And when you pull back, just pull back the shades that are preventing you from seeing him, you know what you do? You enter into the presence of God. See, this is not about keeping Christian laws and rules. It's not what Christianity is. This is not about just kind of doing religious duty or reading Scripture. It's about entering into the presence of Almighty God where you, you interact with His Spirit in such a powerful way that you know His presence. And His presence is, goes with you everywhere you go because God is in you. And that God who is in you wants to be released through you and outside of you. And we can only do that as we come into His presence. Let me give you some life applications. Here's the first one. first one is embrace how God sees you. Embrace how God, not how you see yourself. Embrace how God sees you. And then enjoy the, the presence of God. Enjoy God's presence. And I love this one. Keep your eye on where you are going and not what's going on in your life. Where do you want to go? What do you see happening? What do you, would you like to see God do? You know, Jesus gathered those disciples together for that, in that upper room for that communion time. And as he gathered them together, he wanted them to keep their eye on where he was going and where they could go with him. Listen to what he said in Corinthians. He said, take and eat. This body is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he took the cup after the supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. See, he's coming back. This is a proclamation not only of your sins being forgiven, it is a proclamation that you believe Jesus Christ will return one day in glory for you. 